Do you know that feeling where you feel like you have tunnel vision? When it's hard to see the forest for the trees, it can be a debilitating feeling to not have an idea of the big picture. So how do we remind ourselves to see our lives through the overview lens? Hi, and welcome to Magnify. We are a podcast that helps keep general conference top of mind without adding to your to-do list. I'm your host, Katherine Davis, a mom, a seminary teacher, and a big football fan who loves God. And I am so excited to learn and be inspired with you. We know life is busy, and we are here to lighten the load by bringing you weekly spiritual reminders that will leave you feeling a little bit better than before. Magnified contributor Brooke Walker is here, and I know she has some interesting insights about zooming out like Tamara Runia's talk, seeing God's family through the overview lens. Well, Brooke, I am so grateful that you are here again. I am so grateful. I am honored. I really am. I don't use that word lightly. I'm just thrilled to be a part of your team this, this next little bit. I admire what you do and how you do it. And here we are again. I'm so excited. So excited to learn from you again, but I have one question for you before we get right into it. Give it to me, sister. Okay. If you could know the outcome of one thing happening in your life right now, what would it be? Oh, okay. My mind went right to where my mind went. So in full honesty and disclosure, I'll just tell you, we have, I have a six-year-old little boy who I wasn't sure if sports would be his thing. This is a very trivial answer, especially in the face of everything that is going on. But I, we've seen a, a little emergence soccer star in him just the last season. He's, he's by nature, super timid and meek and mild. And this season, this, this um, fall on the soccer field, we're like, who is that? What is, what is that Boston? He's at, what? He's out there doing it. So he today is trying out for a little soccer team at a humble age of six years old. And I kind of think, I didn't know if he'd have a sport. I didn't know if we're trying to figure out, you know, you're trying to crack open those kids and peel back the layers and see who they are. And I kind of think soccer might be in his little future, I kind of want to know before I invest what I'm supposed to pay for fees and, you know, uniforms and all the things. But I, I would like to know that. I would like to know the outcome to that. At the age of six. At the age of six. Can you just tell me what he's going to love when he's 14? Catherine, is that possible? How do you do that? I, I wish. I wish. You just try all the things. Right. Pay all the fees, get all the uniforms, and then figure it out. That's so fun. I hope. I hope. I hope he does well today. Yes, me too. He'll be great. And I'm not that mom, but I'm just trying to be the mom that lets him try, you know? Yeah. Well, I'm excited to get into Sister Runya's talk with you. And you said that there were three things that really stood out to you. And the first thing you said was your first spiritual reminder was that our family is a team and God is the coach. I love that metaphor. Can you tell me more about that? Yes. This metaphor is something that I believe personally, but I've come to believe it even more so through my professional experience in lifestyle television and media with a with a really large emphasis over my 20 years on family. Sister Runya's remarks illustrated this beautifully. Our family is a team and God is the coach. So she said this, I'll quote what she said and then tell you where my mind and heart spun out from there. But she said, families are God-given laboratories. That was one of my favorite lines from her entire talk, which was all just very inspiring and so wonderful. Families are God-given laboratories where we're figuring things out 
So missteps and miscalculations are not just possible, but probable. And wouldn't it be interesting, Sister Runya continues, if at the end of our lives, we could see that those relationships, even those challenging moments, were the very things that helped us to become more like our Savior. Each difficult interaction, she said, is an opportunity to learn how to love at a deeper level, at a godlike level. And when I talk about our families being teams and God being our coach, I think of it, I'm not sporty. Now I've referenced sports twice in five minutes. My husband's going to be very impressed. <laughs> but I think of a basketball coach. And I think of these, these coaches and these recruiters who are trying to put together these award-winning teams. And when a coach is putting together his starting team, he doesn't need five players that are great in all the same ways, right? According to my husband, this is what he needs. He needs a tall and agile center. He needs a powerful forward. He needs a sharp shooter wing, an elite defender, and an amazing guard with ball handling skills like no other. I have come to believe that our loving Heavenly Father applied those kind of recruiting tactics, if you will, when he assembled our forever families. I feel that, Catherine, in my own family. And I have seen it, as I said, in the hundreds of families that I've interviewed over the years. We are put together in these combinations, in these forever family structures, divinely designed to complement each other and to help each other grow and to build each other. When you think of husband and wife couples, we often hear the phrase opposites attract. I think with families, it's strength, strengths and weaknesses complete. Like we're here to not only help each other, but we're here to learn from each other and we're here to help each other grow. And that's not always smooth. In fact, that's sometimes really messy. But I like to think of our families as this team, like we're put together and we're, com we're combined in a way that uplifts and supports and stretches and ultimately helps us grow into the refined spirits that Heavenly Father hopes will return to him as. So how can you get settled in that role? Like, for instance, I was just thinking even this weekend with my family, sometimes I'm a little frustrated or I feel inadequate in my role. What if I feel like my role isn't as important or isn't as vital? That's a good question. I think there's always the press and the need for us to be humble and to recognize where we're getting our validation, right? Like I think all strengths mm -hmm. are strengths in their own way, but sometimes, you know, this mortal journey puts certain um, pressures or emphases on things that are more overt, strengths that stand out a little bit more. But we're taught even as early as, as primary that if we ask Heavenly Father, what are my gifts and how can I use those gifts to contribute to your work, that he will make those known to us. And we do have varied gifts and strengths. We, we recently moved. We're in a new home, a new area, a new community, and we're trying to get used to our, our, new, our new surroundings. And there are some things that we like about our new surroundings, and there are some things that we're trying to figure out. And I have learned that we, the sunsets here where we're at, are way better and more beautiful, I swear. Something about it we love. We've learned that we are in the flight path of a local Air Force base. We didn't know that. And so we're looking to the skies sometimes like, what is that noise? We're not loving that so much. But speaking of those flight paths, I am convinced that we are on some unpublished, unknown goose flight chart because the flocks that are flying low <laughs> above our house right now constantly are grabbing our attention and turning our eyes to the sky. In fact, my two-year-old will yell at the sky multiple times a day, have fun at the beach as these flocks fly past. And Aww. I found myself looking at those groupings of geese that are flying right above our heads, it feels like, 
and thinking, gosh, one's bigger, one's smaller. Some groups are made of three humble geese trying to have fun at the beach, as my two-year-old said. Some flocks are full of like 30, you know, individual geese that are working together to migrate and make this journey. Some are ahead, some are behind. And, and I find myself thinking of families. Again, this is where I kind of live personally and professionally, but I think, gosh, there's, a, there's, be- there's beauty in that makeup, that we're not all the same. We're all going the same direction. We're all hoping to get to the same beach at the end of this journey. But each one plays a vital role and a vital part in this construct that is family. And so these geese this fall, has they've served as a reminder to me that there's beauty in that combination. Like the team God has assembled for us is there purposefully. And I love your question because we do have to sometimes look ourselves in the mirror and give ourselves an honest look in the eye and say, okay, what's my role here? What's my job? And how can I execute that according to my gifts and my strengths and my personal talents? Well, and I think it's so important. I love that you said you talked with your son about that. Do you talk with your children about that often, about playing a role? We do. We talk about, yeah, we talk about, you know, I'm a big role player. I learned that from my own mother, right? You go into a situation and it's nice to feel equipped as a child, but also as an adult to know this is my purpose. This is my role. This is what I'm going to say. This is how I'm going to act. So we do role play a lot in the car on the way to various activities. And I just dropped my daughter off at a birthday party the other day. And we talked about that. Something as simple and trivial as a birthday party. But what is the, you're the guest. What is the role you're going to play here? And, and I think there's value in that and helping them see their place and their strength in any, any given situation. And we have a family mantra that's newly developed. When I first got married 10 years ago, I remember feeling this frantic pressure and pull to create this mantra. And I, nothing came to me naturally or easily at the time. It took me 10 years. I just completed it. And, and we recite that often to each other. And it's really a series of I am statements about our family. I have it saved here on my phone. Let me see. So I just wrote this. And it's a series of essentially I am statements put in we form because it's a family motto. But our family statement says, we put God and family first. We live by faith and we lead with love. We are trying to be like Jesus. We believe service brings happiness. We assume the good and we forgive. We are grateful. We find joy and contentment in everyday moments. We celebrate and show up for each other in big ways and small. And we say, I love you and I'm sorry, easily and often. This is hung in a prominent place in our home. And we bribed our children 20 bucks to memorize it. It took them a whole half day. I thought it would be a longer family activity. But those smart little minds lapped it up, could spit it back to us, and they earned their 20. But I often visit that family mission statement as we talk about defining roles. You're going to your brother's soccer game because we show up and celebrate each other in big ways and small. Or when we're having an argument, you know, they'll hear me say, we, we say, I love you and I'm sorry easily and often. So I'm trying to implement these beliefs, these core beliefs of who we are and who they are in this family often. And I hope not just through word, but I hope through practice and deed, those statements stick and they come to know their identity and their role in our family, in our team. And practice indeed. Brooke, how does thinking of God as a coach help you grow closer to him and trust him more? Well, a coach knows his players, right? A coach knows, and I think any athlete, I don't claim to be an athlete, but I think any athlete could tell you that a coach knows their strengths and a coach knows their weakness. And a coach is there to help mold and shape. So when you ask, how does that help me trust? My Heavenly Father, He knows me inside and out. 
the good, the bad, the in-between. And I can bring those those elements, those characteristics, those spiritual threads to him and say, help me weave a pattern here that is pleasing unto thee and help me weave a pattern that serves those around me. I think, I think there is such comfort and peace in being known. It's what we strive and crave as, as humans. You, you see a lot of people desperate to be, to be known. We take these personality tests or we try to label ourselves as, as a red or a blue or we're a number or, you know, we, we love to be seen and be known and to understand and believe that there's a coach, there's a, there's a spiritual advisor who knows me perfectly. That is so peace inducing to my heart. And it allows me to really trust then not just how he loves me, but how he coaches me or encourages me to develop and to grow. I think sometimes the youth view God as an umpire who's there to get us out. That's so good, Catherine. I think we have to teach them to go back until they can view him as a coach. I love that so much. You're so right. So your second spiritual reminder is that our job is to beckon, which is code for love. What led you to thinking about it in this way? So the word beckon is actually the word that jumped out to me from Sister Runya's beautiful message. She was referring to Lehi's dream. And she said this, you don't chase after your loved ones who feel lost. You stay where you are and call them. You go to the tree, stay at the tree, keep eating the fruit, and with a smile on your face, continue to beckon to those you love and show by example that eating the fruit is a happy thing. What a visual charge, right? Not just the standing at the tree, eating the fruit, smiling. I, I will always, I think, and forever picture that when I now see Sister Runya's beautiful face. But the word beckon grabbed me. And I loved it in part because it's a little used word. We don't use that word very often, but it's an action-packed word, right? Like someone who is beckoning, they are into it. They're not just like half waving or like scooting a pointer finger back and forth. They are finding ways to actively beckon um, to those that they love. And there are so many ways I think we can beckon to our family without preaching, without teaching, without correcting. Yet beckoning has the same outcome or similar outcome, I think, as preaching, teaching, or correcting. If we're beckoning, we're still leading people to light. We're still offering people hope and we're still communicating truth. We're just doing it in a more loving way. To beckon is to love. So tell me what that looks like. How would you beckon someone? How would you beckon your child or a friend? I've thought a lot about that because that word was, it did grab my heart in such a, in such a just significant way, beckon. How do I beckon? And I, I, my mind actually actually went backwards to how I've been beckoned to over the years. Um, I sat in those young adult single years for much longer than I would have liked. And my mind, as I thought, how have I been beckoned to? My mind went to that chapter and to that decade in my 20s. And one thing that came to mind, and I actually compiled a list of, of ways we can beckon. And you'll see those published today over on LDS Living. But one of those is to offer the in-between service. I think we are rhythmically programmed as humans to gravitate toward a beat or a pattern. For example, in, in music, if you want someone to like tap to the beat, tap their toe to the beat, clap to the beat, that's really actually naturally accessible. Most of us can find the beat. But if you ask a human brain in musical terms to find the upbeat, that's harder for us to grab. And I, I reference that because I think there are rhythmically predictable times to serve. Like there's a reason why the food banks are always full at Thanksgiving. There's a reason why 
a majority of the donations, monetary donations, come to charitable and nonprofit organizations in December. If you were to talk to those nonprofit directors, they would tell you actually the greatest need for them is from January to August. It's in the offbeat or the upbeat seasons. But yet we kind of slip into those patterns, right? And I think as we talk about how to beckon to our family members, I would encourage everyone, at least this was helpful and hopeful for me when people beckon during those in-between moments, offering those in-between extensions or offerings of service. I can think of a time, again, in my 20s, a particularly kind of lonely and low chapter. I was working late simply so I didn't have to go home to a dark, lonely house. And I remember I would pull off most nights at one or two of my favorite restaurants. I would really mix it up and rotate between those two, grab takeout and head home by my lonesome. And it, it wasn't, it wasn't a particularly sparky time of my twenties in case you, in case you missed that. But one evening, and this stands out to me so vividly, I pulled into my apartment complex and waiting for me in the dark parking lot was my cousin. And I don't think she had any reason to know that was a time of struggle or not even struggle, but just a low time for me. But she was standing in my parking lot. She had in one hand a steaming Tupperware of taco soup. And in the other hand, she had a paper bowl full of freshly cut strawberries. And the fact that she had just shown up, like it wasn't asked of her. I didn't express a need or call out that I could use a boost. She just was there on a Tuesday night with vibrant red, gorgeous, juicy strawberries that she had cut for me and put in a bowl for me. And she had shown up. You know, she lived 20 minutes away, but she had shown up in this dark parking lot with this offering of light. And to this day, I, whenever this sounds so hallmark, but whenever I cut strawberries for my kids, I am overcome with this gratitude because she saw me in that moment and she stepped up to fill this in-between service, as I call it. She beckoned to me. She loved me in those in-between moments when I didn't even ask for it. And, and seemingly, I didn't even probably need it from the outside. But I'll never look at strawberries the same and I'll never look at service the same. Like on a random Tuesday to show up unassigned or unasked and to beckon or to love people that we do love, it goes so far. I'm still talking about it 15 years later. And I think it's so interesting that Sister Runya points out that Lehi stays at the tree. Stays at the tree. And beckons. He doesn't chase. He beckons. And I think that's so, and he doesn't chase. He doesn't worry. He doesn't panic. He just continually beckons and invites. Those slow and steady drips, right? And you do feel, I get it, with worry comes this franticness as a parent. Like you want to get it right and you want to make sure you do them right. But that consistent drip of beckoning or of love is ultimately what Sister Runya is telling us, you know, with hope and with faith, will bring people yeah. to the truth, so to speak. Well, I think as a parent, we think if we're worrying, then we're a good we're doing mom something. or a good we're doing <laughs> yeah. something or a good minister or a good neighbor. Yeah. When we're worrying, we're caring. And I I like how she says, like, step back and take a different perspective and realize that worrying is not showing our love, that beckoning is showing yeah. our love. In fact, she says so just good. that worrying feels a lot like love, but it's not. So let's beckon. Let's beckon instead. So your final spiritual reminder is home is heaven and heaven is home. Oh, I just, this is the one that hit my heart the hardest. I'm sorry as I jump in here all excited, but home is heaven, heaven is home. 
As Sister Runya said this, having this eye of faith now is a recapturing or an echo of the faith we had before we came here. It's the Savior's work, she said, to bring our loved ones back. It's his work and his timing. It's our work to provide the hope in a heart they can, can come home to. And here's the beautiful promise that I had never heard phrased like this. And when they pass to the other side of the veil, I believe it will feel familiar because of how they were loved here. And we often talk about those moments that feel heavenly familiar. In fact, we teach our youth, or at least I was taught, that the reason truth feels like truth is because it, it hearkens and echoes of something we already knew, a stirring deep inside us from a life before this. Um, and there's a quote that I cling to in my personal and professional study and presentation of family content. It was from President Eyring. And he said, though earthly families are far from perfect, they give God's children the very best chance to be welcomed to the world with the only love on earth that comes close to what we felt in heaven. Well, Sister Runya then took that beautiful truth, that beautiful concept, and she went forward reaching with her application and her idea that I really hadn't ever considered. Will heaven feel familiar because of the experiences we had on earth? And that statement has me looking at my own home through this sharpened spiritual lens, like the feeling of my home, the sound of my home, the taste of my home, the smell of my home, the comfort of my home. Is it heavenly? And I realize that's a big question. And as I, as I looked around and tried to apply what that really means, is my home heavenly? Will, will my home be a marker of what they feel next, what they feel then? Um, one of my favorite online influencers is a woman and a dear friend named Cami Packer. And Cami is a champion of a lost art known as homemaking. And she's bringing it back in a really lovely and modern way. And she once wrote this, in my opinion, the greatest need in the world today is for peaceful homes. A peaceful home does not mean a perfect home. In fact, I have a feeling that a perfect home is probably not very peaceful. A peaceful home is where our physical and emotional needs are met. A peaceful home is where we practice saying sorry and forgiveness and we practice learning from others. A peaceful home works to serve us, not the other way around. A peaceful home is where there is love and gratitude, even amid the daily pressures and relentless storms of life. She said in conclusion, strong societies are built on strong families and strong families are built by peaceful homes. And I loved that lens because I think it brings new meaning and maybe a little bit less pressure to that lyric, home can be a heaven on earth when there's peace at home. Is my home heavenly? To Sister Runya's beautiful promise, will my home be familiar when I ultimately get to my final home of heaven? So two questions for you. I'm here for it. How has that lens changed your home? Has it made a difference in your home? In the last two weeks or so at the time of this recording, yeah. it's been about two weeks since conference. I would say yes. I've thought about that a lot, not just in preparation for our conversation today. But as I've tried to apply it to my own home and my surroundings, you know what it's done is it slowed me down. It slowed me down. The pace of my home should feel different than the pace out there. Why am I so emotional? Because it's the fight we all feel, right, as women and as mothers. But I've been slower. I've been more deliberate. Um, we're a pretty touchy, feely, cuddle puddle anyway. But there's been a lot more of those moments just on the couch, like not on the couch, folding laundry while I talk to my kids, but just on the couch. My kids are really young, so I hope I have a lot of time to practice this before it really counts and matters. But it's, it's been slower. And I would say, you know, we've had a couple of, of more deliberate family nights, if you will, come follow me conversations. There's a, there's a thoughtfulness or a purposefulness that I think comes. And, and some of that comes from the pace. I think when we give ourselves the buffer or the room to slow, 
and to calm, then I think that thoughtfulness comes along with it. What if there's somebody listening who really feels like there's no way they can ever achieve that peaceful home right now? Hmm. Yeah. What if there's someone who feels like they can't achieve that peaceful home? And I want to ask you this. Yeah. What if your home looks totally different than Mm. how you thought it would be? Yeah. What if your home looks different or what if you think there's no way I can achieve that? I think that's when, I think that's when Sister Runya's beautiful promise really comes center stage. And her promise is this, like zoom out. She opened her remarks by saying, zoom out and talking about this overview effect and, and seeing the big picture, things, things look better. Things, this overview effect speaks to the, the idea that when we have a zoomed out view, everything lightens. And, and not to make it trivial or to dis- dismiss any heaviness that comes with this mortal journey, but we have this feeling, this swell of, I can do this, we can do this. And this complements so naturally what our prophet has been telling us, right? I think of that first time a couple of years ago when he used the word myopic, like don't get too myopic and how we look at these problems, like zoom out. And now he tells us to think celestial, think big. With those big feelings should come this levity or this optimism, like we can do this, like there is a hope in, in Jesus Christ. We know that. And that applies to our families. In fact, the proclamation of the family tells us that the family is central to the creator's plan for the eternal destiny of his children. If family is central to the plan and the plan is one of happiness, or as President Nelson said, the plan is a fabulous one, that can apply to my family too. Even if my family doesn't look or feel or my home doesn't feel or function as I ideally hoped, that that family, that home plays a central role. Heavenly Father's not going to let us flop. In fact, Sister Runya said the family that's trying doesn't matter, you know, the, the pace. We heard that a couple times during conference, like mm. from Sister Freeman as well. President Freeman, just keep pressing forward. Like the, the pace and the distance is secondary to just the progress and the motion. So I believe it seems like a lot of these conversations come back to by small and simple things. But the little tweaks we can make in our home or in our families, I think, will add up in, in beautiful ways. And like Sister Runya said, this is going to all work out far better than we even think it will or can imagine that it will. Well, here's one thought that I had. It's just like that quote you read. It's not our job. It's the Savior's job. And I know I am constantly being reminded of that as a teacher and as a mom, as in a friend. Sometimes I like to take the role that, let me fix it. Let me help. Let me, let me be the one. And I have to take a step back and realize, nope, it's not my job. He is the Savior. It's his job to save. And I just get to sit at the tree and partake of the love of God and invite. It takes all the pressure and all the worry off. So as you have really tried in the last two weeks to make your home more heavenly, what have you learned about your heavenly parents and your heavenly father? And what have you learned about you? That's mm, good questions. As I consider our heavenly parents, you know, it's interesting as you parent, whether in the official role as in I I birthed a child or whether you parent or oversee children in other capacities, nieces, nephews, primate, however you oversee children, I think you realize how much care, you know, goes into it. We talk about Heavenly Father being a coach. A coach cares 
a coach is scrambling to try to execute a game plan that you can be and will be successful at and in. And I feel that love and care from our heavenly parents. I, I feel it as a parent, and I can only imagine how that's magnified on the eternal fear or the eternal stage that they care and that they care for our success. They care to create a game plan or to call a play that allows us, if we humble ourselves and if we stick to our covenants and if we you know, follow the counsel and advice we've been given, allows us to succeed at that plan or that play. And, you know, how it, looking at my home as heaven just, I think, is, is, fuel, is fuel to my fire in the work that we're doing and, and just how much it matters. Like the everyday work, the little work, not just the big, you know, I, I, I know parents, I, I talked to a mom just the other day who was wringing her hands about, you know, is my daughter going to make the decision to be married in the temple? And as we talked this over, that's a big, weighty hope for your child. But, and, and that's important. But you also realize the day-to-day beckoning that we can do or loving we can do as we stand by the tree with a smile on our face, that matters too. And in some ways, that's all I can control. Sister Runya's message actually reminded me a lot of a doctor's visit as I thought about it when my first baby, Emmy, was born. Newborn baby, I'm a new mom. And this beautiful, perfect child was struggling to breathe. Like I, She would gasp and, and it just sounded terrible. And she was quickly diagnosed with a condition called laryngomalacia, which just means a narrow way, a narrowness of the passage, like the breathing passage. And so when she tried to breathe, her tissue would flop and it would sound worse than it was. She was breathing, but it didn't sound well. So at three weeks old, she went in for a surgery that doctors told me would fix the problem. We're going to trim up, you know, the tissue in her neck at three weeks old, this little baby, and she's going to have an airway that allows the air to move through smoothly and appropriately. We had the surgery and it still wasn't going well after the surgery. And so we found ourselves back at the doctor's office. And I remember I was feeling so frustrated as this new mom, you're trying to do everything right. You're trying to do right by your child and your baby and here's breathing and eating to basic life essentials we were struggling with. And I had done so much research. My Google search history was a mess going into this doctor's appointment. And the specialist walks in and here I am ready to tell the specialist, what's going to happen and what we're going to do. And I've done my research and this is what needs to happen. We need to thicken her breast. I, I knew all the answers. I thought I knew all the answers. And then we sit down and this doctor, I start to launch into my, you know, all knowing first mom speech. And the specialist says, Brooke, slow down. And he started to tell me about swallowing and what a complex process this is. Like, did you know that the skeletal system has to work with the nervous system? And there's this rhythmic process. It has to work in order. He's going to this great medical detail about how it takes 50 pairs of muscles. Swallowing is so hard. And by the end of this speech, I'm like listening to him just so swept up in the complexity of swallowing. And then I look at this little baby and I just wanted to say, I'm so sorry. Like what I'm asking of you is so hard. Swallowing is so hard. And then it proceeded to feeding what it takes to get that food, not into the lungs, but into the stomach. And I thought of that doctor's visit because I thought here's Sister Runya basically kind of giving us this reframe, like life is hard and life is meant to be hard. And in the spiritual sense, that's where my mind went. Like Sister Runya was hopeful and she was positive as she reframed the hardships of life. But she also underscored that that's the purpose of this mortal assignment. Like it's okay if you or your loved one find yourself a little bit lost along the way. And it's okay if it's harder for one child to understand, harder for one child to believe, harder for one child to obey. It's supposed to be hard, but hard is not hopeless. Like hard is not hopeless. And I think once we understand and try to grasp as parents, what did I learn 
from this. And, and as I try to make my home more like heaven, heart is not hopeless. Like heart is okay. And I'll echo Sister Rina's beautiful testimony of hope and faith. It will all work out better than we thought. But those little things that we're doing on the daily, they do add up to the big things. And I think they do matter. And I think that reminder that home is heaven and heaven is home gives us such a beautiful insight into the character of our Heavenly Father. In fact, it reminds me of this quote from Elder Holland, where he said, of all the divine titles that God could bear or that divinity could carry, the one he's chosen is Father. He could he could be the great scientist. He could be the great physician. He could be the great physicist of the universe. Not interested in that. Father is what he chose. I've never heard that, and I love that so much. I just it just teaches us about who he is and how he feels for us. Father, he's a father. Brooke, I have loved this conversation, and as you know, we love to end every episode with a small and simple challenge. So what is your small and simple challenge from our conversation today? And how can we take this overview lens? I would probably circle us back to that idea of in-between service, of a chance to beckon. Again, that's just code for love, but a chance to look for a way to show up in a purposeful way, in a meaningful way, but in an unexpected in-between opportunity for someone we love. Beckon to them, love them, slice them some strawberries. Find those little ways to love and to beckon and to represent our Heavenly Father in the role that we're serving here on earth now. And I'm so anxious to hear what beckoning means to different people. Like, what does that look like for you in your life? And I want to hear from all of our listeners about what beckoning looks like. Come on, tell us how you beckon. Go to the Magnify Instagram and we'll have a post waiting there for you. We really would love to crowdsource these ideas of how you beckon, especially parents with adult children. I think sometimes, you know, we're trying to foster this independence and support their own, you know, thriving adult lives. But how are you beckoning to the young adult children in your life? And in what little ways are you showing up and loving and beckoning? In the, on the daily. I think that would be an awesome thread. I would love to hear other people's ideas. Let's beckon. Let's love. So good. Thank you so much. You're, You're welcome, amazing. Catherine, for the opportunity. Back at you, sister. Mm-hmm.